0: Section sixteen of the coming race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox dot org. Reading by Mary Rohde The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer-Lytton. Chapter twenty three. I confess that my conversation with and the extreme coolness with which he stated his inability to control the dangerous caprice of his daughter and treated the idea of the reduction into a cinder to which her amorous flame might expose my too seductive person took away the pleasure i should otherwise have had in the contemplation of my host's country seat and the astonishing perfection of the machinery by which his farming operations were conducted. The house differed in appearance from the massive and sombre building which Apollon inhabited in the city, and which seemed akin to the rocks out of which the city itself had been hewn into shape. The walls of the country seat were composed by trees placed a few feet apart from each other, the interstices being filled in with the transparent metallic substance which serves the purpose of glass among the ana these trees were all in flower and the effect was very pleasing if not in the best taste we were received at the porch by lifelike automata who conducted us into a chamber the like to which I never saw before "'but have often on summer days dreamily imagined. "'It was a bower, half-room, half-garden. "'The walls were one mass of climbing flowers. "'The open spaces, which we call windows, "'and in which here the metallic surfaces were slided back, "'commanded various views. "'Some of the wide landscape with its lakes and rocks.' some of small limited expanses answering to our conservatories, filled with tiers of flowers. Along the sides of the room were flower-beds, interspersed with cushions for repose. In the centre of the floor was a cistern and a fountain of that liquid light which I have presumed to be naphtha. It was luminous and of a roseate hue, It sufficed without lamps to light up the room with a subdued radiance. All around the fountain was carpeted with a soft, deep lichen, not green. I have never seen that color in the vegetation of this country, but a quiet brown, on which the eye reposes with the same sense of relief as that with which in the upper world it reposes on green. In the outlets upon flowers, which I have compared to our conservatories, there were singing birds innumerable, which, while we remained in the room, sang in those harmonies of tune to which they are, in these parts, so wonderfully trained. The roof was open. The whole scene had charms for every sense, music from the birds, fragrance from the flowers, and varied beauty to the eye at every aspect. About all was a voluptuous repose. What a place, methought, for a honeymoon, if a gee bride were a little less formidably armed, not only with the rights of woman, but with the powers of man! But when one thinks of a gee, so learned, so tall, so stately, So much above the standard of the creature we call woman as was Zee, no, even if I had felt no fear of being reduced to a cinder, it is not of her I should have dreamed in that bower so constructed for dreams of poetic love. The automata reappeared, serving one of those delicious liquids which form the innocent wines of the Vrilia truly said i this is a charming residence and i can scarcely conceive why you do not settle yourself here instead of amid the gloomier abodes of the city as responsible to the community for the administration of light i am compelled to reside chiefly in the city and can only come hither for short intervals but since i understand from you that no honours are attached to your office, and it involves some trouble, why do you accept it? Each of us obeys without question the command of the tour. He said, Be it requested that apalin shall be the Commissioner of Light. So I had no choice. But having held the office now for a long time, the cares, which were at first unwelcome, have become, if not pleasing, at least endurable. We are all formed by custom, even the difference of our race from the savage is but the transmitted continuance of custom, which becomes, through hereditary descent, part and parcel of our nature. You see, there are ana who even reconcile themselves to the responsibilities of chief magistrate, but no one would do so if his duties had not been rendered so light, or if there were any questions as to compliance with his requests. Not even if you thought the requests unwise or unjust? We do not allow ourselves to think so, and, indeed, everything goes on as if each and all governed themselves according to immemorial custom. WHEN THE CHIEF MAGISTRATE DIES OR RETIRES, HOW DO YOU PROVIDE FOR HIS SUCCESSOR? THE ON WHO HAS DISCHARGED THE DUTIES OF CHIEF MAGISTRATE FOR MANY YEARS IS THE BEST PERSON TO CHOOSE ONE BY WHOM THOSE DUTIES MAY BE UNDERSTOOD, AND HE GENERALLY NAMES HIS SUCCESSOR. HIS SON, PERHAPS? SELDOM THAT, FOR IT IS NOT AN OFFICE ANY ONE DESIRES OR SEEKS, and a father naturally hesitates to constrain his son. But if the tour himself declined to make a choice, for fear it might be supposed that he owed some grudge to the person on whom his choice would settle, then there are three of the college of sages, who draw lots among themselves which shall have the power to elect the chief. We consider that the judgment of one on of ordinary capacity is better than the judgment of three or more however wise they may be for among three there would probably be disputes and where there are disputes passion clouds judgment the worst choice made by one who has no motive in choosing wrong is better than the best choice made by many who have many motives for not choosing right You reverse in your policy the maxims adopted in my country. Are you all in your country satisfied with your governors? All certainly not. The governors that most please some are sure to be the most displeasing to others. Then our system is better than yours. For you it may be, but according to our system... "'A tish could not be reduced to a cinder if a female compelled him to marry her, "'and as a tish I sighed to return to my native world. "'Take courage, my dear little guest. "'Zee can't compel you to marry her. "'She can only entice you to do so. "'Don't be enticed. "'Come and look round my domain.' "'We went forth into a close bordered with sheds.' FOR THOUGH THE ANA KEEP NO STOCK FOR FOOD, THERE ARE SOME ANIMALS WHICH THEY REAR FOR MILKING AND OTHERS FOR SHEARING. THE FORMER HAVE NO RESEMBLANCE TO OUR COWS, NOR THE LATTER TO OUR SHEEP, NOR DO I BELIEVE SUCH SPECIES EXIST AMONGST THEM. THEY USE THE MILK OF THREE VARIETIES OF ANIMAL. ONE RESEMBLES THE ANTELOPE, BUT IS MUCH LARGER, BEING AS TALL AS A CAMEL, the other two are smaller, and, though differing somewhat from each other, resemble no creature I ever saw on earth. They are very sleek and of rounded proportions, their color that of dappled deer, with very mild countenances and beautiful dark eyes. The milk of these three creatures differs in richness and taste. It is usually diluted with water, and flavoured with the juice of a peculiar and perfumed fruit, and in itself is very nutritious and palatable. The animal whose fleece serves them for clothing and many other purposes is more like the Italian she-goat than any other creature, but is considerably larger, has no horns, and is free from the displeasing odour of our goats. Its fleece is not thick, but very long and fine. It varies in colour, but is never white, more generally of a slate-like or lavender hue. For clothing it is usually worn dyed to suit the taste of the wearer. These animals were exceedingly tame, and were treated with extraordinary care and affection by the children, chiefly female, who tended them. We then went through vast storehouses filled with grains and fruits. I may here observe that the main staple of food among these people consists, firstly, of a kind of corn much larger in ear than our wheat, and which by culture is perpetually being brought into new varieties of flavor, and secondly, of a fruit of about the size of a small orange, which, when gathered, is hard and bitter. It is stowed away for many months in their warehouses, and then becomes succulent and tender. Its juice, which is of dark red color, enters into most of their sauces. They have many kinds of fruit of the nature of the olive, from which delicious oils are extracted. They have a plant somewhat resembling the sugar cane, but its juices are less sweet and of a delicate perfume. They have no bees nor honey-making insects, but they make much use of a sweet gum that oozes from a coniferous plant, not unlike the Araucaria. Their soil teems also with esculent roots and vegetables, which it is the aim of their culture to improve and vary to the utmost. AND I NEVER REMEMBER ANY MEAL AMONG THIS PEOPLE, HOWEVER IT MIGHT BE CONFINED TO THE FAMILY HOUSEHOLD, IN WHICH SOME DELICATE NOVELTY IN SUCH ARTICLES OF FOOD WAS NOT INTRODUCED. IN FINE, AS I BEFORE OBSERVED, THEIR COOKERY IS EXQUISITE, SO DIVERSIFIED AND NUTRITIOUS THAT ONE DOES NOT MISS ANIMAL FOOD. AND THEIR OWN PHYSICAL FORMS SUFFICE TO SHOW THAT WITH THEM AT LEAST MEAT IS NOT REQUIRED FOR SUPERIOR PRODUCTION OF MUSCULAR FIBER. THEY HAVE NO GRAPES. THE DRINKS EXTRACTED FROM THEIR FRUITS ARE INNOCENT AND REFRESHING. THEIR STAPLE BEVERAGE, HOWEVER, IS WATER, IN THE CHOICE OF WHICH THEY ARE VERY FASTIDIOUS, DISTINGUISHING AT ONCE THE slightest IMPURITY. My younger son takes great pleasure in augmenting our produce, said Apalin, as we passed through the storehouses, and therefore will inherit these lands which constitute the chief part of my wealth. To my elder son such inheritance would be a great trouble and affliction. Are there many sons among you who think the inheritance of vast wealth would be a great trouble and affliction? Certainly, THERE ARE INDEED VERY FEW OF THE VIRILIA WHO DO NOT CONSIDER THAT A FORTUNE MUCH ABOVE THE AVERAGE IS A HEAVY BURDEN. WE ARE RATHER A LAZY PEOPLE AFTER THE AGE OF CHILDHOOD, AND DO NOT LIKE UNDERGOING MORE CARES THAN WE CAN HELP, AND GREAT WEALTH DOES GIVE ITS OWNER MANY CARES. FOR INSTANCE, IT MARKS US OUT FOR PUBLIC OFFICES, WHICH NONE OF US LIKE AND NONE OF US CAN REFUSE, It necessitates our taking a continued interest in the affairs of any of our poorer countrymen, so that we may anticipate their wants and see that none fall into poverty. There is an old proverb amongst us which says, The poor man's need is the rich man's shame. Pardon me if I interrupt you for a moment. You allow that some, even of the virilia, know want— and need relief if by want you mean the destitution that prevails in a kumpush, that is impossible with us unless an on has by some extraordinary process got rid of all his means cannot or will not emigrate and has either tired out the affectionate aid of his relations or personal friends or refuses to accept it Well, then, does he not supply the place of an infant or automaton, and become a labourer, a servant? No, then we regard him as an unfortunate person of unsound reason, and place him, at the expense of the state, in a public building, where every comfort and every luxury that can mitigate his affliction are lavished upon him, but an on does not like to be considered out of his mind and therefore such cases occur so seldom that the public building i speak of is now a deserted ruin and the last inmate of it was an on whom i recollect to have seen in my childhood he did not seem conscious of loss of reason and wrote glaubs poetry when i spoke of wants I meant such wants as an on with desires larger than his means sometimes entertains, for expensive singing-birds, or bigger houses, or country gardens. And the obvious way to satisfy such wants is to buy of him something that he sells. Hence Anna, like myself, who are very rich, are obliged to buy a great many things they do not require, and live on a very large scale where they might prefer to live on a small one. For instance, a great size of my house in the town is a source of much trouble to my wife, and even to myself, but I am compelled to have it thus incommodiously large, because, as the richest on of the community, i am appointed to entertain the strangers from the other communities when they visit us which they do in great crowds twice a year when certain periodical entertainments are held and when relations scattered throughout all the realms of the vril joyfully reunite for a time this hospitality on a scale so extensive is not to my taste and therefore i should have been happier had i been less rich but we must all bear the lot assigned to us in this short passage through time that we call life after all what are a hundred years more or less to the ages through which we must pass hereafter luckily i have one son who likes great wealth it is a rare exception to the general rule and I own I cannot myself understand it. After this conversation I sought to return to the subject which continued to weigh on my heart, namely the chances of escape from Z. But my host politely declined to renew that topic, and summoned our airboat. On our way back we were met by Z, who, having found us gone on her return from the College of Sages, had unfurled her wings and flown in search of us her grand but to me unalluring countenance brightened as she beheld me and poising herself beside the boat on her large outspread plumes she said reproachfully to apolline o oh, father was it right in you to hazard the life of your guest in a vehicle to which he is so unaccustomed he might by an incautious movement fall over the side and alas he is not like us he has no wings it were death to him to fall dear one she added accosting my shrinking self in a softer voice have you no thought of me that you should thus hazard a life which has become almost a part of mine never again be thus rash unless i am thy companion what terror thou hast stricken into me!' I glanced furtively at Apolline, expecting at least that he would indignantly reprove his daughter for expressions of anxiety and affection, which, under all the circumstances, would, in the world above ground, be considered immodest in the lips of a young female, addressed to a male not a fiancé to her, even if of the same rank as herself but so confirmed are the rights of females in that region, and so absolutely foremost among those rights do females claim the privilege of courtship, that Apollin would no more have thought of reproving his virgin daughter than he would have thought of disobeying the orders of the tour. In that country, custom, as he implied, is all in all. He answered mildly, z the tish is in no danger and it is my belief that he can take very good care of himself i would rather that he let me charge myself with his care oh heart of my heart it was in the thought of thy danger that i first felt how much i loved thee never did man feel in such a false position as i did these words were spoken loud in the hearing of Z's father in the hearing of the child who steered i blushed with shame for them and for her and could not help replying angrily zee either you mock me which as your father's guest misbecomes you or the words you utter are improper for a maiden gee to address even to an on of her own race if he has not wooed her with the consent of her parents how much more improper to address them to a tish who has never presumed to solicit your affections and who can never regard you with other sentiments than those of reverence and awe apolline made me a covert sign of approbation but said nothing be not so cruel "'exclaimed Z, still in sonorous accents. "'Can love command itself where it is truly felt? "'Do you suppose that a maiden gy will conceal a sentiment "'that it elevates her to feel? "'What a country you must have come from!' "'Here Apollin gently interposed, saying, "'Among the Tisha the rights of your sex do not appear to be established.' "'and at all events my guest may converse with you more freely "'if unchecked by the presence of others.' "'To this remark Zee made no reply, "'but darting on me a tender reproachful glance "'agitated her wings and fled homeward. "'I had counted at least on some aid from my host,' "'I said bitterly, in the perils to which his own daughter exposes me.' I gave you the best aid I could to contradict agui in her love affairs is to confirm her purpose. She allows no counsel to come between her and her affections chapter twenty four on alighting from the airboat, a child accosted Apollin in the hall with a request that he would be present at the funeral obsequies of a relation who had recently departed from that nether world now i had never seen a burial-place or cemetery amongst this people and glad to seize even so melancholy an occasion to defer an encounter with z i asked apolline if i might be permitted to witness with him the interment of his relation unless indeed it were regarded as one of those sacred ceremonies to which a stranger to their race might not be admitted the departure of an on to a happier world answered my host when as in the case of my kinsman he has lived so long in this as to have lost pleasure in it is rather a cheerful though quiet festival than a sacred ceremony and you may accompany me if you will preceded by the child messenger we walked up the main street to a house at some little distance and entering the hall were conducted to a room on the ground floor where we found several persons assembled round a couch on which was laid the deceased it was an old man who had as i was told lived beyond his hundred and thirtieth year to judge by the calm smile on his countenance he had passed away without suffering one of the sons who was now the head of the family and who seemed in vigorous middle life though he was considerably more than seventy stepped forward with a cheerful face and told apolline that the day before he died his father had seen in a dream his departed gi and was eager to be reunited to her and restored to youth beneath the nearer smile of the all good while these two were talking My attention was drawn to a dark metallic substance at the farther end of the room. It was about twenty feet in length, narrow in proportion, and all closed round, save near the roof there were small round holes through which might be seen a red light. From the interior emanated a rich and sweet perfume. And while I was conjecturing what purpose this machine was to serve, all the timepieces in the town struck the hour with their solemn musical chime and as that sound ceased music of a more joyous character but still of a joy subdued and tranquil rang throughout the chamber and from the walls beyond in a choral peal symphonious with the melody those in the room lifted their voices in chant the words of this hymn were simple they expressed no regret no farewell but rather a greeting to the new world whither the deceased had preceded the living indeed in their language the funeral hymn is called the birth song then the corpse covered by a long cerement was tenderly lifted up by six of the nearest kinfolk and borne towards the dark thing i have described i pressed forward to see what happened a sliding door or panel at one end was lifted up the body deposited within on a shelf the door reclosed a spring at the side touched a sudden whishing, sighing sound heard from within and lo at the other end of the machine the lid fell down and a small handful of smouldering dust dropped into a patera placed to receive it. The sun took up the patera and said, in what I understood afterwards was the usual former words, Behold how great is the Maker! To this little dust he gave form and life and soul. It needs not this little dust for him to renew form and life and soul, to the beloved one we shall soon see again. Each present bowed his head and pressed his hand to his heart. Then a young female child opened a small door within the wall, and I perceived, in the recess, shelves on which were placed many paterae, like that which the sun held, save that they all had covers. With such a cover a now approached the sun, and placed it over the cup on which it closed with the spring. On the lid were engraven the name of the deceased, and these words, Lent to us, here the date of birth, recalled from us, here the date of death. The closed door shut with the musical sound, and all was over. End of chapter 24